it seems fewer and fewer physicians want to go into internal medicine, with the latest study showing only 2% of fourth-year medical students actually wanting to enter this field. Welcome to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Kurt Mosley. Mr. Mosley is Vice President of Business Development for Merritt Hawkins & Associates, the largest permanent physician search and consulting firm in the country, with more than two decades in the business. Mr. Mosley has written widely on healthcare staffing issues for publications such as Trustee Magazine, U.S. News & World Report, USA Today, Modern Healthcare Magazine, among many other publications. He also speaks across the country to medical societies, state hospital associations, and many other trade associations and groups. A graduate of California State University, Fullerton, Mr. Mosley also spent several years in professional baseball before joining the field he's in today. Mr. Mosley joins us from Merritt Hawkins' offices in Dallas, Texas. Kurt Mosley, welcome to Reach MD XM 157 the channel for medical professionals. Good afternoon, Bruce, and thank you for having us on today. Well, it's great to have you. I'm sort of astonished almost, and a a guy who's covered healthcare for almost two decades myself, and we could just go right into this study. I'm almost stunned that only 2% of fourth-year medical students uh, want to enter this very important field of internal medicine. It is a shock, but at the same time, there's been forebears of this coming for a while, we have seen, you know, primary care in America, which is we, we consider internal medicine and pediatrics and family practice, suffer under increased cutbacks, uh, paperwork, intervention. But this was an eye-opener for us, too, and I think that it doesn't bode well for our internal medicine patient population. And let me just explain that very quickly. Our population is getting older. It's getting heavier. And our internists, by category of definition of their service, take care of our chronically ill and our geriatric patients. So if only 2% plan to go that route as we're getting older and heavier, which heavier usually creates chronically ill problems, and older, which is geriatrics, it does not bode well for boomers and the current boomers now that are patients getting health care over the next 10 to 15 years. And what are these internal medicine doctors, what are they telling you? I mean, is it the pay? Is it the the long hours? Is it the influx of patients without reimbursement? What are some of the key factors that are dissuading young people from wanting to join this profession? Everything you said, Bruce, and more. A lot of it has to do with pay. In a lot of cases, they're paid for consultation where they may see an internist they went to school with or did a residency with getting paid higher for the certain procedures they're doing. That's why a lot of our internists go on to subspecialize. Time is always an issue with internal medicine specialists. We don't see that as much, but at the same time, what we do see is call arrangements and creating our newer doctors, our generation doctors, are very interested in lifestyle. And in a lot of cases, going on to subspecializing gives them more time for their family or time off. As a matter of fact, I interviewed some residents in a East Coast, I'll say, residency program, don't want to talk about specifically, but I asked them, it was, they were internal medicine, and they changed. And I said, what is the reason for you changing? And this doctor wrote, Road to Success, R-O-A-D. He said, do you get it? And I said, I understand what Road is, but I don't get it. And he said, here, we've changed. Former internists going on to radiology, ophthalmology, anesthesiology, dermatology. Higher pay, less hassle, less call. And what kind of pay does your average internal medicine physician make? What, what do they, they make? I mean, if you're just a general internist out there, you know, treating 
anybody from somebody who's 25 to 65, how, how much money would they make? You know, they're in the 170 to, to 190, in some cases, $200,000 a year range. It's come up over the years, but when you look at, obviously, a cardiologist making 400 to 450, in some cases, it's sometimes 40 to 50% less than an internist that's gone on to subspecialize. And are they also having to pay their own medical malpractice coverage? It, depending on if they're, if they're a single practitioner or within a group that's not an employment model, yes, they are. So this but is not their net income per se? No. This is the, this is the... Oh, I'm sorry. This would be probably sans the malpractice premium. This would be pretty close to a take-home but not including benefits. But we're talking these folks still have mortgages and student loans and all that type of stuff. I mean, a lot of high costs issues. And is it such in this country if we've had so many problems and if there is are shortages in certain areas, is it a possibility that the market would bear out and, and some of these group practices and hospitals who would employ an internist would have to raise these salaries? Absolutely. I mean, they're going to have to. We have to rethink the way that primary care, including internal medicine, is being paid. I mean, we have to, there's a new theme across the nation called this medical home where mm-hmm. the doctor is responsible for, and it's an internal medicine specialist or a family practitioner for everything, and they'll be paid more for this. But just think as you get older, we have to be able to compensate them more. And one other concern that I have, regardless of who wins this election, a lot of these patients that are so-called going to be insured under our new system are going to fall into the ranks of these family practitioners and internal medicine specialists. And if they just have more patients and they're making the same amount, it's going to cause them to leave the practice or go to a different specialty. And to that point relative to the medical home, are there certain areas of the country, and if you want to name them, you could, or certain models where they're taking care of their internists better than others or where they're a little bit smarter about the way they're setting up their healthcare system in rewarding internists to choose the field, stay in the field? I really couldn't comment on one I've actually seen that does it better. What I will comment on, Bruce, is that we've seen a lot of internal medicine specialists set up these concierge practices where they go to their patients and say, you know, of the 4,000 that we currently cover, we'll take 1500 at $1,500 a year direct payment to us. You get access to either of us. And it's hard why I say us. It's usually two people. It could be a male and a female physician. But you need two because they guarantee you same-day access. Your insurance is not billed unless there's some lab or hospital work. So they're basically scooting around. And in some cases, groups have promoted these concierge practices to keep these doctors in town. But at the same time, they'll take maybe 1,500 of their 4,000 patients they have on file. Who's going to take care of the other 2,500? So going forward, all the political ramifications, everything about universal access to medicine, paying, needing to look at reimbursing internists differently, all comes down to one thing, it's access. And they're cutting back access to certain patients with certain payment or indigent care or you know, Medicare or Medicaid. So, so we have to rethink this or this whole uh, situation going forward is going to be a big mess. Now, for the internist out there that if they were going to choose the field, do they choose a specialty? Are they, would you encourage them to choose a subspecialty to keep themselves marketable and in the income-generating range? Well, in some cases, yes. The gentleman I see, I actually see an internist for asthma, and he's an internal medicine specialist, but about 50% is done in pulmonology. So he's not a quote-unquote board-certified pulmonologist, but he deals with asthma and procedures, which helps him subsidize the rest of the other part of his bread and butter internal medicine practice, which is chronic care 
in geriatrics. So I think it's smart. I think you have to have something to fall back on in this age of until the compensation models change, being able to do some subspecialty, which gives you uh, increased payment for different procedures. Well, if you're just joining us, or even if you're new to our channel, you're listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD. I'm Bruce Japson, the healthcare reporter with the Chicago Tribune, and joining me today is Kurt Mosley. He's the Vice President of Business Development for Merritt Hawkins & Associates. If you've not heard of Merritt Hawkins, they are the largest permanent physician search and consulting firm in the country. Mr. Mosley joins us from Dallas, Texas, and we're talking about a new study that showed that only 2% of fourth-year medical students want to enter the field of internal medicine, which raises all sorts of questions and some alarm bells, if you will, about what could happen if we do not see more internists. Uh, Mr. Mosley, is there are, are there areas of the country that are already dealing with this problem? Oh, it's, it's really throughout the nation. I mean, we're seeing it more in areas with high geriatric populations, i.e. Florida, parts of Pennsylvania, Southern California, San Francisco, Arizona. It's where, where our elderly patients tend to gravitate. We've already seen that. And also in the state of Massachusetts. The state of Massachusetts just recently insured half of their uninsured, a little over about 54%. And if you see all the studies coming out of Massachusetts today and newspaper articles, the number one article is, you know, can't get in to see a primary care physician, an internist, or a family practitioner because half of the state's uninsured now have access. And it's a, again, it's an access issue, as I mentioned earlier, but if we want to look and see what's going to happen in the United States, if we go universal access and insure all these uninsured or underinsured, take a look at Massachusetts. It's a great, great test case. And I was going to ask the question, where if there's not an internist, where are these people going for care? But I think you answered it. I mean, they're not getting the care. They have to wait for it. Yeah, or, or they're going directly to a specialist. And a lot of our patients are, are smart. You know, if you have a heart palpitation, a lot of people, a lot of patients would say, let me go. I, I need to see a cardiologist. If you have a knee problem, go directly to an orthopedic surgeon. But they're busier than ever. So in a lot of cases, and in some cases, it's not a case of managed care like it was before, but a lot of them just say, I really can't see you without a referral from a primary care doctor because I don't want to waste my time. It's something maybe they could take care of. And that also brings up questions on the whole idea of of expanding health care coverage. You want to do it the right way because if you are an older person and you need to see a specialist, your PPO will certainly allow that, but they tend to be more expensive. Right. And I, and I think most importantly, our patients, our younger patients tend to be a little more sad, but our older patients, a lot of time, when you get older... Bruce, things happen that have never happened before, and you're wondering, what's going on? I have it every day. You know, it's just something doesn't work like it did, you know, 15 or 10, 10, 15 years ago, and you just, you wonder. So a lot of that time, why our specialists want them to see a primary care doctor, because a lot of it is just questions and answers. How did this happen? When does it happen? What are you doing when this happens, as opposed to a specialist will take a look at an x-ray and say, I think it's this and this, and this is the corrective action. So, In the situation in Massachusetts, for example, where they did expand health insurance coverage, was there something they could have done differently? I mean, were, are there any incentives that actually get primary care physicians um, you know, more pay or an incentive to stay in the field, or is it just the same reimbursement, just more people getting access? I don't know of anything they did or any new procedures for consultation because, again, when people that haven't had health insurance, the first thing you do, you have to do a complete workup. That takes time. And that's paid under a consultation pay code. And I'm not a pay code specialist, so forgive me. I don't really don't know what number it'd be, but I know it's less than a procedure. 
that it, it just took time. I don't know if they did anything different to create this whole medical home, you know, compensation. Now that medical home compensation is inherently different. I've heard, I've just heard tidbits of what it's going to be, but I don't think they did. And again, I, another precaution, Bruce, would have been, let's go ahead before we offer this. Let's see what our primary care base is in the state. And if, if it is low before we start offering, let's try to recruit doctors in to certain groups, you know, of certain areas or where there seems to be underserved in relationship to patient populations per that specialty. Well, with that, I'd like to thank Kurt Mosley, who's been our guest. He's the Vice President of Business Development for Merritt Hawkins & Associates, the largest permanent physician search and consulting firm in the country. My name is Bruce Japson. I've been your host. I'm with the Chicago Tribune, and you've been listening to the Clinician's Roundtable on ReachMD, the channel for medical professionals. If you have comments or suggestions about today's show, please do call us at 888-MD-XM-157. And I'd like to thank you today for listening. You're listening to ReachMD-XM-160, the channel for medical professionals.